I announce to you a great joy. We have a hope. On March 13, 2013, Catholics around the world waited with anticipation to see the billowing white smoke appear from the Sistine Chapel chimney that signaled a new pope. Later that night, Cardinal George Mario Bergoglio, now known as Pope Francis, became the worldwide leader of over 1 billion Roman Catholics, 50 million here in the U.S. The 78-year-old's popularity has grown among Catholics and non-Catholics. He reportedly cleaned house at the Vatican. He also embraced social issues like immigration, poverty, and the environment. Now he's bringing his message to the U.S. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. I'm here with Monsignor Joseph Quinn, Vice President for University Mission and Ministry, Michael Pearson, Associate Professor, Gabelli School of Business at Fordham University, and Nicholas Sawicki, Fordham University senior who once worked as a public affairs intern for the U.S. Embassy to the Holy See. Welcome, everyone. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for having us. Some polls that were taken on Pope Francis say that he is extremely popular, not just with Catholics, but with non-Catholics. Why do you think he's so popular? I just think he speaks a language that is real. And I think his message is one that is so needed, a message of mercy and joy and hope. Uh, you, You think of the issues of the world today, you think of the messiness of the world that is ours. And he just seems to speak with such a clarity, but most of all, such an authenticity that people find appealing. And Nick, I want to ask, throw that question to you. Why is the Pope popular with younger people of today? The Pope is both an agile speaker and he's authentic. We were just having a conversation before the show started that when the Pope comes to his homilies, he often doesn't have them written down. And what I think we're getting then is not somebody who's preparing his remarks to fit a necessarily a specific agenda or a specific audience, even though the Pope always recognizes the people who's around him. Um, I have no doubt that the Pope is, is very shrewd, um, but he's authentic, he's moving, he says things that resonate with us. He knows how to grip an imagination. He knows how to speak to people on a personal level. I'm not saying previous Popes haven't, but with Francis, it's a consistent message of mercy, hope, and love that is moving my generation, is moving people throughout the world. And and we're finding it in other faiths as well. Francis has a very long tradition of interreligious and ecumenical dialogue. Um, I had the great pleasure of working with one of his institutions in Rome while I was there that is ecumenically and interreligiously founded. Uh, and to see how that comes together, because it's about bringing people together to uh, solve mutual problems problems that affect all people, and Francis is willing to build those bridges to solve real-world problems that people can look at tangibly and say, this is what his message is. I know that he um, is planning uh, to have, uh, uh, during the September 11th Memorial Museum, when he visits there, he is planning on having people of other faiths, Buddhist, Hindu, Sikh. What do you think the significance of of embracing these other faiths? uh, Robert, from the very beginning of his papacy, or two and a half years ago, He has used a phrase which, as time has gone on, you see him living it out. The phrase is the culture of encounter, where... Break that down for me. What does that mean? uh, Rather than live in a a day and age where we stand apart and talk about each other, he's always calling us to come together and to truly, as human beings, encounter each other at a human level. I'm looking at words of his, uh, Robin, that I think speak to his his style. Uh, Let us pray for peace, Pope Francis says, and let us bring it about starting in our own homes. Such a simple thought, but I think it's the simple, uncomplicated, clear, concise nature of his messages that are so appealing to a world which has somehow become pretty complicated. 
and he always calls us back to foundational levels. I think that's why faculty members are so important in university settings, because they live in a culture of encounter in a classroom each and every day. And they are confronted with um, lots of questions, and they're thought to have all the answers, which is not always the case other than Professor Pearson's class. <laughs> Actually, quite the opposite. We have an <laughs> open culture of conversation where we try to manifest this culture of encounter one way or the other uh, by really not saying there's one person that has the answer, uh, and but that we explore together. And in that sense, I think it's when I'm writing down what you're just saying because I think it's such, such an simple concept that can translate beyond the spiritual uh, or the parish work because I think it's really that's what's needed and even though we have setups like in the university that could lend themselves to this culture of encounter I don't think we're very good necessarily at sort of making that real because it's oftentimes one-way conversation <laughs> top-down there is not much of an encounter. And yet Fordham, I think, has understood that need for that. Now, I know he's one of the uh, first popes from a, a developing country. You, do you think that has something to do with uh, his viewpoints, his leadership? Absolutely. As we prepare for him to come here this week, there's one question as to what language he's going to use. Many of his addresses here in the United States this coming week will be in Spanish, not English. You know, we've seen probably in the past century, after the waves of immigration really died down from Eastern Europe, we saw a... Uh, isolationist attitude take over the United States and a carryover of that is that we heavily focus and prefer the English language and we're, we're not terribly accommodating otherwise and to have a world leader uh, not speaking in English and visiting and touring the United States and preparing to speak not in English I think is is unsettling to some uh, one friend of mine said that if he spoke in Spanish before Congress certain senators heads might explode I don't know if I agree with that, but, uh, you know, the sentiment's there. And it's just so strikingly unusual uh, for us. But throughout most of the world, if there's not three or four languages in a community, well, is that really even a community? Correct. Because these communities are diverse, um, and, and they recognize the fact, and it's just something that's normal. Uh, in the United States, when communities become diverse, there's often a lot of struggle, there's often a lot of strife. And it's a problem that many people have to still overcome. And then Francis comes along with his message of mercy and inclusiveness, speaking in Spanish on some very major events and on key occasions. And I think it's it's wonderful uh, because he is being inclusive. He's addressing an audience, especially, uh, you know, as we're entering the primary season. So many of our Spanish speakers are immigrants from Latin America, uh, uh, to which, you know, he is accustomed to addressing. Um, and, and our immigrant populations have not been treated well in, in many cases, and they have not been addressed or included in the conversation. Robin, I think that's why the Pope holds a certain appeal, because he goes above uh, anything called language limitation. He speaks of universal language, uh, the language of love. And one of the things I think he will speak at quite length about when he's here in the United States is the whole uh, issue of migration, of movement all over the world. And how can we not see the larger picture? Uh, given how news is presented to us every single day. And he's asking us to, uh, as he would often say, don't give up your dreams of a more just world. And he's calling us to truly live that. I want to just mention, in terms of like this culture of encounter, that he also does use his identity and not hide it by speaking Spanish or by just referring to his uh, experience in the periphery. And I think that's very critical and it makes possibly very many people here or in powerful situations <laughs> or in powerful positions uncomfortable because they feel comfortable that everybody will cater to them. 
And once you have a true culture of encounter, no, 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 it's not going to work this, <laughs> this way. You actually become partners. And that is a huge challenge. And I think that's, a, uh, that's what he is in some way living, despite being sort of the top of the hierarchy. He is a person that views you as a human being, more of a partner. And he will underscore that this week in his visit, right. because we've seen from the beginning of his papacy that it is not so much uh, his spoken word, as powerful as that is, mm -hmm. it's his lived example. Mm -hmm. And it's the language of uh, bending down and truly uh, Serving, encountering, encountering. Uh, the person of great suffering, the great person who has been marginalized, the person of great need. And I think we will see it. I know we'll see it because in each of the cities he's visiting this week in the United States, there will be a powerful uh, witness without words, uh, no language needed to show the language of love. Mm. Be it the impoverished children within our own community here in Harlem, uh, be it those imprisoned in Philadelphia, be it those who are uh, cared for through Catholic charities in Washington, uh, he will be pointing to the real language, which is action. action. Nick, I know that you published an article uh, where you were discussing uh, like human trafficking and the Global Freedom Network yes. that the Pope established. So explain to me what the Global Freedom Network is. Right. Uh, I think uh, just to backtrack a little bit, just to explain uh, where I was coming from on the, the whole article was I wanted to encapsulate Francis's political philosophy. Uh, which to me, and in watching his papacy, has come to the point where he finds issues that can bring large swaths of people together and attack different problems at the same time. So shortly after his election, he sent a, a note over to Archbishop Sanchez Serrando, who's a fellow Argentine, and he's the chancellor of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences. And he sent over the note, and all the note said was, Marcello let us do something about human trafficking and slavery. We can also probably find some way to fix organ trafficking, Francis. And there was a great collegiality to the note, but I, it's very striking in two ways. First, he wrote the Chancellor of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences. And this is an international institution made up of some of the brightest minds in the world, uh, including uh, Stephen Hawking is a member of the institution. Um, and and a number of, of great other scientific minds. And he's looking for empirical data. He's looking for people who can tackle this in logical fashion and who know how to sculpt programs to fight these things. But the main result of this was the Global Freedom Network. And this, uh, this all came about uh, as a way to uh, tackle trafficking on an international level. Uh, every parish, every synagogue, Every uh, temple, every mosque has been asked to look out in their community to find what's wrong. You know, there are 35 million people in the world affected by trafficking. And Francis looks at this and he says, why don't we fight back? And we do so in a constructive manner. We have people everywhere. We can find out the facts. And in doing so, he upholds the dignity of the human person. He fights for the rights of men, women, and children everywhere. He tackles unjust economic structures and political structures, and he holds people accountable. And I think that's just, it's, a, it's an issue that underscores Francis's ability to see the world and how to approach the problems within it. And something that you said, I like uh, what you said, Dick, when you wrote, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, uh, that one of the many problems with trafficking is seeing a person as merely merchandise and not their value as a human. Did you say that or did the Pope kind of imply that? That was uh, Archbishop Bernadito Autza, okay. who is the papal nuncio to the U.N., 
And and the whole uh, Secretary of State, the whole department for the Vatican has been speaking out on this. As in fact, just this past week, Archbishop Silvano Tomasi, who's the papal nuncio to the UN in Geneva, gave a whole talk about the matter. Um, so there is a full effort on the Vatican's part to fight this issue. But I think the way that the Pope would say it, and I'm looking at his words here, that very thought uh, in, in the simplest of ways, he says that things have a price and can, pay, and can be for sale, but people have a dignity that is priceless and worth far more than things. And that's been a repeated theme of this piece from the beginning. And that's paraphrasing Kant, by the way, in some way. And he's able to do that uh, <laughs> so that people really get it. Yeah. And, and, and in the context where, okay, it is not only words, not only philosophy, it's something that matters. And it really transcends the structures that we have as a society uh, and addresses critical issues. So I think he's a very skilled, we would call it social entrepreneur also, because he's lo looking at those social big issues and not coming up with just nice talk ways of, of actively problem solving right, right? actively doing mm -hmm. something about them this is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon discussing Pope Francis's first visit to the U.S. with Monsignor Joseph Quinn of Fordham University, Associate Professor Michael Pearson of Fordham University, and Nicholas Sawicki, a Fordham senior who once worked at the U.S. Embassy to the Holy See. Has this pope addressed any of the accusations of how the Catholic Church has handled sexual abuse charges against some of the leaders? Absolutely. Uh, more so than, than others. And, and again, uh, in the day and age which is his, I think he sees new ways to address all issues, including that sad and tragic issue. And he has addressed it in structural fashion, and he's addressed it in, uh, in testament uh, by witness in terms of speaking to all and wanting to hear from all. And he certainly has uh, addressed it by way of uh, many of his appointments, including just one this week. where he appointed Could you tell him what happened? Well, he appointed a new bishop in Kansas City, where the bishop himself was uh, not accused of, of uh, abusive actions, but uh, was accused of not handling those actions in the right fashion. And uh, once again, I think the world is seeing uh, his appointments are, are, are pretty pastoral leaders, people who will relate and people who will encounter and people who will not... Uh, uh, serve from a distance, but rather in the midst of the sheep uh, entrusted to their care. I know we've discussed a few of the social issues that the Pope has taken on. Now, some critics have said that this Pope hasn't put enough emphasis on the core teachings of the church in lieu of tackling these more social issues like the environment or human trafficking. What do you say to those critics? I'm pretty agnostic about the critics, so I'm, 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 I'm luckily not in a position to even have to deal with uh, with these kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm personally just very glad that we can see a broader perspective on what it means to be a spiritual person, a religious person. I think right and, from the very beginning mm -hmm. that the Pope has said the church should not be self-referential. Mm -hmm. The church should not present itself as though it has all the answers, that life is filled with ever-changing issues, and that... Uh, Christ himself would call us to address the realities of our day and age, uh, not at the expense of our core teachings, but uh, by reason of uh, our foundational beliefs in them. Sometimes I think the Pope says that we, uh, over a period of time, we maybe have become too narrow, too uh, uh, limited in our vision. And if anything, I think he has widened our eyes mm -hmm. to the realities of the world. And that's what I would say to those who would who would want to maybe pull him back in or rein him in in some fashion. <clears throat> I mean, this is the Pope who says, live. Don't just get by, live. And what does that mean but to truly be fully immersed in the reality of the world, which is ours in this day and age? 
Nick, maybe you have a thought. And, and I, I agree completely with that, Monsignor. Uh, and I feel that many of the critics of the Pope are extrapolating a little too much. They tend to employ hyperbole a little too much sometimes when they, for example, there were many critics over this past week uh, when the Pope uh, reformed the process for annulments, which has been a large point of contention in the Church, uh, and many canon lawyers for years have been saying uh, that it required reform. So, you know, Francis issued a document that essentially eliminated the costs uh, associated with annulments, um, and many dioceses have implemented that already over the past week. Uh, but some of the critics are saying you're destroying the idea of traditional marriage that the Church holds. No, and I think really what the Pope was saying to us, you've become too legalistic. We have been consumed by cost and benefits. We have been focused on not the human dimensions, but procedure or protocol. And, and I will say, as somebody who was involved in that process myself as a canon lawyer, as a judge of a, a local tribunal, I do see how that happens. And there are realities that local churches have to face in order to sustain the offices that present these services. But there are other ways to go about it. And I think that the Pope was right to say the time has come. Look at it in more humanistic fashion. Look at it more in the context of mercy and hope and love and joy. Our job is not to deprive people of joy, but to bring it to their fullness of life. And unfortunately, many of his critics aren't seeing it that way. And, and they're just, they don't seem to be understanding the message that he's fully presenting. And, and uh, we should pray for them, uh, but we also, we also need to correct them and, and make sure that Francis's true message gets out that this is about mercy. It's about practicality. It's, it's not about being overly legalistic. I think it challenges all of us to think about the labels that the world places on people, on issues, because he's, uh, in my mind, he seems to defy them all. I, I, I found it hard to put a label on Francis and say, this is who he is. I just think, uh, I'd say in my lifetime, he is just so Christ-like mm -hmm. that you cannot <laughs> ignore what he's saying to us. Is it fair to say that he's moving away from uh, condemnation to mercy? You know, I hear that by some of my, my Catholic friends that guilt, there's a lot of guilt there sometimes with, with things and how do they handle the guilt. But it seems like this Pope is speaking more along the lines of mercy and understanding. He has, Robin, he's actually declared a year of mercy beginning December 8th uh, so that he can underscore what the church has always taught, but I think we've lost sight of. And that is that mercy is the essence of truly one who lives a life of compassion, of goodness, of conscience. Uh, this is the Pope who said, to change the world, we must be good to those who cannot repay us. <laughs> this is the Pope who calls us to be a church of and for the poor. This is a Pope who, coming from a world of Jesuit formation, uh, knows that we are called to be with and for others. And that's a message the world needs to hear as the gap grows ever larger between those who have and those who have not. Now, I know on Friday at about 8.30, the Pope is going to address the U.N. General Assembly. And this year's assembly will involve uh, decisions on sustainable development and climate change, areas the Pope has uh, been very vocal about. Um, so what are the Pope's priorities when it comes to these environmental issues? Michael, you want to take this one? I don't think I can speak to what his priorities are. I think what he does here is just that he acknowledges something <laughs> that most of us have acknowledged, 
and using his way of bringing it into the conversation that it's not just like a separate scientific issue. This is a matter to our survival in many, in many different dimensions. So I think the priority is to bring this back into the conversation, seeing it more holistically. And it's not just something that people uh, can guard off and say, okay, this is something for the scientists. Or I'm not a scientist. No, no, no it matters. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether well, that, you're a scientist a or not. That's a good choice of seeing it more holistically. Right. But I don't think that he gets lost in the technical or the mm -hmm. scientific language. Right. I think his, uh, again, looking at his own words here, he says, what kind of world do we want to leave to those who come after us? Who doesn't understand simple mm -hmm. phraseology like that? What kind of world do we want to leave? And pointing to our human responsibilities and our shared uh, privileges of uh, occupying the same planet. That's where it matters that he is a global figure and doesn't have to cater to the schism in the American political scene. That's the only unique one <laughs> that actually doubts some of this uh, <laughs> actively. But I think that he can have that as a way of really rallying a global audience to action. This particular Pope, Pope Francis, has been um, known to be very, very humble and live a very simple life. Do you believe that might have something to do with his upbringing, him being like the first non-European pope? Or what I'd do you say, think I'd, that has I'd to say all of that. Mm -hmm. It certainly is a reflection of who he is, how he has lived his life, and how he has been formed and shaped as a priest, as a member of a religious community that has taken vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And it is seen in the way he lives his life. The pope has been known to be a little challenging. When it comes to security, he prefers, you know, not to ride in the bulletproof Pope Mobile. And then there was that story that kind of touched my heart of the little boy who kind of wandered on stage and just <laughs> clung onto his leg and hugged him and it just wouldn't let go. And the pontiff just patted him on his head and just kept, you know, on with his speech. What do you think the significance is of this type of accessibility? Well, I'll just say quickly and then offer Mike and uh, Nick a, a chance to respond. But I think the both examples you've cited, Robin, are uh, examples of the culture of encounter. I don't think he feels the encountering people if he's behind walls or behind uh, bulletproof glass, as much as that does worry his security forces. I don't think he feels like he's encountering people if he resists people coming closer to him. If anything, this is the Pope who wades into the crowd, and um, not because he needs it, but I think he wants to show the world we have to connect one to the other. What are your thoughts, Nick, Michael? There was a great story circulating around Rome when I was there that when he was going through the crowds in St. Peter's, as the Pope does, uh, there were some Argentines in the crowd, and they handed him a gourd uh, filled with mate, which is a, a tea traditional uh, to Argentines. And the Pope took it and just started drinking it. You can imagine the surprise on, on his face. Security is freaking out. You know, yeah. you're not supposed to, It hasn't been tested. You know, it's, we don't know what's in it. It was overwhelming, but he, uh, he said, Your Holiness, you can't drink that. We don't know where it's from. He says... Why did a cardinal hand it to me? <laughs> <laughs> and he also has this great disarming humor about him that makes him so accessible. I think that's one of the key points of his accessibility. It's not only just uh, encountering people, but it's the type of encounter he has with them. And and he's of good humor. He's of honesty. He's of he's of a genuine cloth. And he's unrushed. He's unrushed. Yeah. I think that's one of the best ways to put it because he's he was known as Archbishop in Buenos Aires for taking time for someone no matter how little time he had. He's also fiddle surprises. People say in this upcoming week, be surprised, <laughs> because uh, there are things he's going to do that are not on the agenda. Yeah, uh, he has a, a he history may, of doing that. He may that. pause along the way. He may see someone in need who will move his heart, and he doesn't want to pass them by. Um, now, some some conservative Catholics have said that Pope Francis's accessibility has humanized him just a little too much, and it's leading to the position of a spiritual leader and his message 
um, and the message of the Catholic Church to be watered down. So should this be a concern? I'm speaking here as a Catholic in, in culture and somewhat in, in faith uh, also, but I, I can't, I mean, this conversation is a probably perennial conversation in terms of what do you think, uh, how should organized anything look like? Do you have to have a top guy in charge or maybe a, a gal in charge to actually have things work? And I think that uh, culture of encounter is, is not working with that. And it is probably important to have some kind of structure, yes, but is the structure something where you create new pyramids, <laughs> where you create gods, demigods, or whoever else? Or is it something that you really want to have a human uh, dimension to? And I think the leadership of Christ, of Jesus, <laughs> was something of encounter. It was 12 people sitting together, and they are sharing a message of encounter. And that is something that doesn't fit well with what you're alluding to as the critics of this current And I can only hear this Pope mm -hmm. saying to those who would offer those thoughts that Robin is uh, giving voice to here today. He'd simply say, fear not. Right. Fear not. <laughs> he has often been quoted as saying, have the courage to be truly happy. Mm -hmm. And he shows us uh, how he is happy. I love his thought that uh, when, when he was asked what, what are the, some of the things he misses uh, now in this chapter of his life, and uh, what was it he said? Okay, I miss uh, being able to go out just for a Tray of pizza by yes. myself. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure there are critics who say, oh, you shouldn't talk like that. But it is, it's what makes him so relatable because it is, uh, he speaks on such human terms, such human levels always. I, I know that the Pope has been attempting to engage young people, especially on this, this U.S. visit. What do you think he needs to do to continue to reach out to millennials or younger people? He just needs to be authentic. That's all people want. The popes, over, especially over the past, I would say, 30 to 40 years, have particularly focused on trying to engage with young people. Um, but with Francis, you know, it's, it's become tenfold, almost. And not that he's purposely going out of his way, I think, to engage the youth. But he is engaging them on a level that is familiar to them. Uh, you know, for example, he ran into a group of Belgian tourists in, in St. Peter's Basilica and took a selfie with them. Right. It created a media firestorm. And how many people do you think saw that said, wow, this pope is, is willing to take a selfie with us. Right. He's willing to be on our level. He's willing to I can follow his us. tweets. You can follow his <laughs> tweets. And in Latin, too. Uh, and it's, it's really people looking at this and saying, this is a pope who's willing to encounter with us on a level that we are very familiar with. It's not him lowering himself. It's just him experiencing something that's part of everyday life for people my age. He's just so comfortable with people, and he's so willing to experience new things and interact with, the, you know, ideas and concepts that he hasn't experienced before because they're alien to his generation, and that makes him so incredibly approachable. And I think that's what really speaks to my generation, is that this is a pope who listens, this is a pope who studies, this is a pope who speaks, and most importantly, this is a pope who acts. I don't think he would ask anyone to do anything that he himself wouldn't be willing to do. And I want to find out from you, Nick, it must have been really awesome working at the U.S. Embassy to the Holy See. What was that like? Um, it, as a student of theology and history, it's a goldmine. Um, but professionally, I was there within a year and a half of Francis's election. Rome was palpable. When we tried to get tickets for Mass, see, embassies are given a certain number of tickets for the Masses, and, and nobody's really ever denied. But the offices that issue the tickets said they had more people coming to the masses for Francis than they had ever seen. But being there, being in Rome, 
working with the Vatican and with the State Department and seeing how Francis operates from an inside perspective was magnificent. At the uh, end of the Pope's U.S. trip, what do you hope, I want everyone to comment, what do you hope Americans are left with? I personally, with the the agenda of having a better economic or a reflection on the way we do economics, we manage our uh, economy overall, I think, uh, with regard to the challenges of climate change. I think that there will be somewhat more of an openness to engaging in that conversation, uh, less ideologically, more pragmatically, geared to action. Nick? To be honest, the only thing I can hope for without being specific, because, again, I don't know what the Pope's going to speak on. I wish I did. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, is that we are willing to discuss what he has said. And that it's not just us shouting at each other on whichever news station is yelling the loudest. And it's not just us hearkening to the newspapers to write editorials uh, to establish our interpretation of what Francis said. But it's that we're willing to sit down and have a genuine conversation and to actually consider what the Pope puts in front of us as he makes his pastoral visit to the United States. And I think we'll be doing that here at Fordham. I know we will be with the whole series of events that will follow the Pope's visit, where we hope to encourage uh, good professors like Michael Pearson to uh, engender those conversations and to enliven those conversations. So there is a reflection on truly what uh, his visit means to us. I hope that uh, we truly see the truth of his words uh, when he said once, let the church always be a place of mercy and hope where everyone is welcomed, loved, and forgiven. And I hope that they see in his visit to our country uh, truly a people of God uh, wider and greater than the church itself per se, but that uh, the world can be filled with more mercy, greater hope, and a greater sense of forgiveness and love for each other. I'd like to thank my guest, Monsignor Joseph Quinn, Professor Michael Pearson, and Nick Sawicki. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. <laughs>